Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. I hope you're all doing well. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And this week's episode is an absolute belter. It's it's one that we, I was trying to get sorted for quite a while. Um, and we managed to get together and record this and it was a real delight. It, re- it really was. Um, today's guest is, is Johnny Harris. Uh, Johnny, you will probably know for his work in This Is England, uh, for Jawbone, uh, Troy, like so, so much in, incredible work, and and he's a smashing fella, uh, as you're about to find out. Um, before we get on with the episode, um, just a few shout outs. Um, thank you to the Distraction Pieces Network um, and Mr. Scroobius Pip over there, and all of uh, my pod brothers and sisters on that network. Um, thanks to 76 for producing this. Um, thanks to you lot for, for supporting this podcast. That really does mean a lot. Um, if you enjoy the content on here and you want some extra stuff, obviously I'm going to tell you to go and venture into the back catalogue because, you know, we're, we're nearly 60 episodes in already. So go and have a route around in the archives and see if there's some episodes that, um, that take your fancy. As well as that, if that's not enough, there is a Patreon page, um, Patreon forward slash off the beaten track uh, podcast. Go over there and have a look, and I put up um, more content over there each week as well. So you can go over there if you've got a thirst for this. Um, but you're here right now, and so thank you ever so much. Uh, it's it's much appreciated. We recorded today's uh, episode at the WeWork Building in Devonshire Square. So thank you very much to Ben Berlin for facilitating that for us. Um, I don't think there's anything else for me to say um, other than please enjoy this this episode of Off The Beaten Track with the wonderful Johnny Harris. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. 
All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out, because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast, and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done, is they've given you 15% off. So, if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code, Beat 15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk, official sponsors of Off The Beat & Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat & Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Right, we're recording. Um, welcome, Johnny Harris. Cheers. Thanks. You're right. Yeah, I am. I'm good. I am good. I'm hot. It's warm out, isn't it? It's uh, hot. It's day of the year, mate. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm loving uh, this air conditioning. I'm happy. I'm genuinely happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've never met. No. And I think I I reached out to you a fair few months ago, and we've been sort of backwards and forwards. And I'm really pleased that you've 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 come today. So I'm I'm really excited for this one, mate. Nice one. Um. It helps that I'm a big fan of your work. Let's get this out of the way first, right. right? So I'm a big fan of your work. Crazy boxing fan. So we've, we've already done a bit of boxing chat before we pressed uh, record. Yeah. Um, and you've got good taste in music, mate. Are, are you having it? You're, you're digging I'm, the tunes? I'm all over it, mate. Yeah. I'm all over it. So it's I think, I think do, this is going to be a good chat. Yeah, to pick a couple of tunes, like, you know, the good questions. And, you know, to try and whittle it down to one or two songs or well, one song each, like, it's almost impossible, isn't it? But well, you can have some honourable mentions, mate. If there's a couple where you're... You're mulling them over and you think that one or that one, like you, you can throw some in. Okay. And uh, because we all know that, like, on any given day, yeah. your mood changes and it's like, oh, do you know what? No, I would have had that. Yeah, do completely. You know I mean? Completely. So, uh, yeah. so, yeah, feel free to throw some others in, mate. Lovely. Well, let's kick things off. So, the song with the greatest ever intro, Johnny. I've gone for um, Ocean Colour Scene. And, and again, like, you know, to be honest, just with that band alone, I could have chosen about five. Yeah. Um, but they were like a massively important band for me growing up, you know, like they, they were that uh, movement, if you like, that came through, you know, with Oasis and stuff when it was like, this is my tribe, mm. you know, this, this speaks to me, you know, mm. like there's that great Smith lyric, isn't it, that um, hang the DJ, hang the blessed DJ because the music he constantly plays says nothing to me about my life. And I remember feeling like that, you know, in the kind of teens and stuff like the music, it seemed that the music at that time, it, I think it was like, in Stock Aiken and Walkman and all that era, you know, and it just was trash. Well, we're exactly the same age. Right, So okay. we, we, we've got lots of parallels right. in this chat. So right, cool, yeah. 87, 88, when we was getting to the end of school, weren't a good time for music, mate. No, no, right. dire. Yeah. Like, you know, just, and, and so when those guys turned up, you know, it was an explosion, you know. I was already, and I think we'll probably get to it in some of the later questions, but I was already listening to great music, but it was all from stuff that was, before my time, you know, it was via um, my uncles or um, 
one of my dear friends, Paul McKay, we'll get to him later, really, because he introduced me to sort of great music via his brother, his older brother, Bernie, was in a band, and Paul and I boxed together. Yeah. So we'd, we'd box all night in the club, and then we'd go back to his mum's place after, sit in the bread, uh, bedroom that he shared with his older brother, and he introduced me to all sorts of songs. I'll get onto some of them later, because they're my choices because of that. And um, So I was into cool music and good music, or what I perceive to be cool and good music, but um, but we never. It felt like we never really had anyone of our time doing it, yeah. and then those guys came along. Um, an ocean colour scene for me. Um, it's hard to kind of really pinpoint why, but there's something about them that's so soulful. Um, I just believe in them, you know, like when they play, and and it's weird because you know in these strange sort of uh, way that life somehow turns out. Steve Craddock's become like a really dear friend, you know, and I've met all the band and I know all yeah. the band like to say hi to and, I, and, I, and I've got a lot of love for all of them, but um, Steve Craddock's like a genuine uh, brother, you know, like he's, I, I love the man yeah. dearly and his wife Sally and... Sally's great. Uh, they're, they're just, a, they're an inspiration as a family, yeah. you know, like they're really about love and, and I love watching it and I love being around their energy and um, and and so Steve, yeah, we. I think um, I used to be on Twitter, I'm not on it anymore, but I was on there one day, and um, and it kind of tells you people who are following you. And it came up, Steve Craddock's following me, right? So I was sitting on my couch. I've done a cracking double take, like, and I was like, I thought it was a wind-up. So yeah. I rang a mutual friend, Mark Baxter, and um, one of my dearest friends, and I knew he kind of knew them all. And I said, Bax, is this, like, Steve Craddock? Is it the real Steve? Like? And he went, yeah, like, he, you know, he likes your work and that. And I couldn't believe it. So yeah. I direct messaged him. And I said, Steve, man, I'm humbled, you know, like, um, yeah. I'm a real fan and everything. And he went, oh, me too, man, you know. And and um, and there was a gig coming up. I think it was Ocean Colour Scene. I think it was Hammersmith. And he said, listen, come down and say hi, you know, we'd love yeah. to see you. And, and we did. And that was like, that was, it must be about 10 years ago now, I guess. But, um, like, we've just been friends ever since. Like, And then, weirdly, uh, Paul Weller and became friends with Paul Weller when he'd done the music yeah, from the film course. Jawbone. And so, like, and so it all just intertwined and everything. Yeah. Um, but to get back to your question, I'm, like Ocean Colour Scene, um, some of the lyrics to their songs, like potent lyrics. And when Simon Fowler sings them, I just believe in him as a yeah. singer. You know, like I've, he sings those songs and you know he's been there and you know he means it. And um, and I had some darker times when I was younger and those songs were there right through them. And uh, you kind of knew you weren't alone, you know. But, yeah. but, but as for intros... Um, I could have picked five or six songs, yeah. you know? Like, they've got songs that, like Go To Sea and stuff like where yeah. as soon as they kick in, it's a call to arms. You're just like, yeah. what is this? Um, but but for the purposes of your show, I went with um, July, I think. It was going to be either Get Blown Away yeah. or July. And um, you, It could be so many from them. They can, yeah. they can smash yeah. out a good intro. Yeah. And it's generally Steve. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. When he's, and they are, aren't they? When yeah. his guitar kicks in, yeah. like there's some sort of a... I don't know much about music... Um, technically, I, yeah. I don't know whether you'd call it a riff or an opening, whatever it yeah, is. It's but a riff, I guess. Is it, it? when right. that guitar kicks in, like yeah. at the beginning of July or, yeah. or the beginning of "Get Blown Away," and you just—it's yeah. a statement, isn't it? And, yeah. and I've and I've actually avoided the obvious ones, like yeah. "100 Mile High City," and yeah. you know, because of TFI Friday and yeah. stuff. Everyone knows those songs, yeah. like everyone. They've only got to kick in, and you're yeah. like, those were genuine sort of uh, songs of our generation yeah. I think you know and um, but but for me July there's something about that song I used to play it on repeat man when I was I was kind of not having a good time myself when I was a bit younger it's all self-inflicted stuff yeah. like boozing and that but um, but I remember that song there was something about it that was potent and there are some songs that are just like that yeah. Paul Weller's got one brand new start where yeah. you hear it and you just know you can't kind of avoid it you yeah. know it's saying something to you that you can't escape yeah. and um 
And I remember July was like that, the lyrics in it. Oh, they're very, very powerful lyrics, you know, very powerful, very simple as well. Yeah. If, you're, if you're feeling in a certain mode, Johnny, mm. and you know some songs, feeling sad, uh, mm. and you know a song's sad, are you, will you indulge that sadness and listen to sad music, or will you try and sort of... There's an old saying, if you, if you want to be happy, read a sad book, yeah. you know? You've got to be careful with that, I think. You've got to be mindful, I guess is the right word, um, and maybe know why you're doing it, because um, all thought is prayer. I believe in that. You know, prayer isn't just when you clasp your hands, you know, or wear orange robes or whatever, you know, like if you're thinking about something, it's probably going to manifest somewhere along the way, whether it's darkness or whether it's, there's a great George Harrison song, Beware of Darkness. Yeah. It's not on my list today, but yeah. um, I love that song, but you know, where he just talks about different sort of forms of darkness. Beware yeah. of um, greedy leaders. They'll take you where you shouldn't go, which is pretty yeah. fucking apt for now, I think. Um, yeah. You know, but um, sorry, I'm swearing there. Don't matter, mate. Are we all right? Are yeah, we? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, you know, that's a beautiful song, Beware of Darkness, but um, uh, you know, so I, I am aware of that and I'm mindful of it, you know, and I, and I choose um, what I listen to carefully, you know, and you have to be careful. And, um, and, and Simon Fowler is one of those men. He writes from the heart, yeah. you know, so like um, uh, if I'm in the wrong mood, yeah, they'll get me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, there's, there's songs there as well that are um, the same with Noel Gallagher, same with all of those guys. Like when they write about the darker times, they write about them from the heart. Yeah. So you're going to go there, you know. But yeah. but when they also write about the call to arms and about, you know... Um, Feeling supersonic. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know, that's a call to arms as well, you know. And, yeah. um, and and like I say, those bands were with me through the good times, the bad times. We, we, if you feel... This is the strangest thing. You feel like you're all going through it together. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing when you meet them in real yeah. life. Like, you yeah. meet your heroes and, you you, you know, and... Uh, because you're convinced there's a connection, aren't there? Yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah, you're completely. utterly convinced that they were sat in your bedroom with you when you were sobbing over flipping, Absolutely. you know, broken-hearted or something about a girl or whatever. You're yeah. convinced they're there with you, you know. And Absolutely. Yeah. I saw, I met Mick Jones. Oh, do you know what, Johnny? Yeah. I chased him down Carnaby Street about three weeks ago. <laughs> I was sitting in a window of a shop and he walked past and I just thought, don't do it. And I yeah. thought, don't be a knob. And yeah. I went... It's fucking Mick Jones. Yeah. And I, I just tapped him on the shoulder. He looked a bit frightened. Yeah. And I went, Mick, I just want to shake your hand, mate. Yeah, like, man. And, yeah. Uh, and he went, oh, mate, thank you so much. He was He's so lovely. He's a lovely, lovely man, isn't he? Oh, He's just a gentle soul, isn't he? And yeah. proper cool. Where'd you you know, like, so this is a good story, man. We was at the Hammersmith Palais, because my favourite song was The White Man in Hammersmith right. Palais. It's certainly one of them. And, um, and then when uh, I was at the Hammersmith Palais, and it was the Biffa Awards, and I'd done a, a low, low budget film called London to Brighton and it took off a little bit, you mm. know, in its own way. It got like a little bit of a cult following and everything and it, it done really well critically. And so we were at these awards, you know, and, um, and we're queuing up to be sat to our table and I could see two fellas. One of them was quite a big fella and, and, and Mick Jones was next to him. And I thought, fucking hell, it's Mick Jones and in the Hammersmith Palais. And I couldn't quite believe it. It was just all a bit disorientating. And it was my first yeah. kind of ever time at one of those kind of events. And... I just lost it a bit and I thought, shall I say hello, shall I say hello? And we were getting closer and closer to him as the queue got smaller and, and, I, and I was debating it and debating it and we got right to the last minute when I was going to bottle it and he turned around and he went, excuse me, mate. He said, can I just say, he's got a very soft voice. Yeah. Went, can I just say, he said, I loved your film. He said, I'm on the panel here and I voted for your film. He said, I really hope you oh, win. Mate. It blew my mind blew my mind right and, and I lost it and I just went fucking hell Mick I don't know what to say I said yeah. you know Hammersmith Palais and I said, it's a big thing for me and he went oh it's lovely he said you know he said, and, and he was just really lovely yeah. and then it turned out and I didn't realise at the time but the man that was stood with him was Shane Meadows 
And really? he, yeah, and then he sat down next to me a bit later and he said, I saw you with Mick Jones there. Was that a moment for you? You know, and that, that was me and Shane got yeah. chatting. I used to booze then, so I don't remember the chat with Shane much. What, but, so that was where you first met Shane? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. and, and if I'm being completely honest, I don't remember it much. Yeah. And I probably made a bit of a wally of myself later yeah. in the night sort of thing. But, um, but then, uh, for those who don't know, Shane Meadows then went on to change my life. Years later, he yeah. gave me the part in This Is England 86. Yeah. So that was a kind of a special night, that. Yeah. And um, meeting, uh, meeting Mick Jones there and stuff. But yeah, what a beautiful man. And uh, and but but that same thing, you see, like essentially, really, I'm meeting a stranger. Yeah. But to me, he was the man who changed my life. Well, I was, you know, like I was a young boxer, and I nearly kind of, you know, joined the army and everything because you was kind of in, gently encouraged to by your boxing club for all the right reasons. You know, they were just trying to put us on the straight and narrow and everything. And they had kind of an association with because sport and the army and uh, like, if you was kind of a good boxer, the, uh, from what I'm told, you got looked after kind of thing. Mm. You were allowed to just train and you know, you, you kind of got looked after within the army. And so we were kind of nudged that way. But then I got into the clash and stuff, you know, and I started listening to, uh, you know, um, I, I mean, so many songs, you know, but, um, and it, it, it made me question all of that, you know, and rightly or wrongly, and I'm not here to argue it, you know, each of us has got our own choices in life, what we want to do and what we don't want to do. But for me, I'm really glad that, um, that I listened to that music because it changed me who I was. It, it kind of informed me politically about who I was and other things like I was reading Muhammad Ali at the time yeah. and stuff and uh, all of his quotes about Vietnam and stuff, you know. And so when you meet these people in real life, you feel like they've had a profound effect on you, yeah. you know. And um, so when I listen to those songs, man, they mean a lot to me. And the Ocean Colour Scene ones, as soon as Steve's guitar kicks in, you know, you're, you're there, man. They're playing in Scotland uh, and over the next Just few weeks. Just aren't they? Yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm seriously thinking of going up to one of those. I've seen them twice. Yeah. They played my club when the first album came out. Oh, right. And then I saw them in Scotland. They played my mate's wedding. And, uh, wow. wow. And it was, it yeah. was so weird because... I'd met Steve a couple of times just through his associate. It was um, James Buckley, the guy from In Between Us. Oh, right, yeah. It's his wedding. Yeah. And, uh, and he was right good friends with Steve and Sally. Yeah. And, uh, and so we've gone to this wedding. I've never been to like, a wedding where there's like, famous people, but yeah. I knew James. And we're there, and I said, like, Who, who's, who's playing? Like, is there a band? And I knew that my mate's band, The Milk, were playing. Right. And... Uh, and then he went, yeah, like Ocean Colour Scene. I was like, fuck me, you got Ocean Colour Scene playing your wedding. Yeah. And so we sort of spent a lot of time like, hanging out with them. And for someone like myself that's always worked in nightclubs and that, there's this perception that people that own nightclubs and have these flashy motors and stuff like that. I've got no interest in cars, Johnny, at yeah, all. Yeah, no, right? I'm the same. I don't drive up. I, don't I had a shitty clutch. Citroen Picasso, right? <laughs> Just because it can fit all the kids in and stuff like that. And I put a night on at the jazz cafe with Steve. And, uh, and I said, uh, Steve, you, um, how are you getting there? You get, he said, no, I'm going to drive. I said, all right, cool. So I'm thinking Steve Craddock's going to turn up on a Lambretta, aren't he? Looking, yeah. Looking <laughs> yeah. He'd come round the corner in a beaten up Citroen Picasso. And I was like, there, mate. Brotherhood. Good enough for yeah. Craddock. It's good enough and for And do you me. know what? It doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all that they were playing at a wedding. You know, like yeah. there's a humility about Like that's the thing, if I'm honest, right? As well as him being a dear friend, but as an artist, yeah. Steve Craddock is one of those who I aspire to. You know, I've seen him play. Uh, there, was, there was one month where I saw him play, I think it was the O2, like packed, a Weller gig it was. Mm. And, um, and Paul's the same, like you see, like can fill out stadiums. And I've seen, like, I've been to those gigs, you know, where it's rock solid, packed to the walls. I don't know how many tens of thousands, yeah. but packed. Um, and then in the same month, Steve played the Amersham Arms yeah. with Sally. 
yeah. you know, two of them up there playing their song. I think it was from uh, Travel Wild, Travel right. Free they were promoting at the time. And and he just does it. And then even now he's off with the specials, he's playing That's with the right, spot. And, yeah. and then he's on the summer. He just loves it, man. Loves yeah. it and lives for it. He's a genuine artist, you know. I mean, yeah. To have it in your back pocket that Ocean Colour sees your baby and yeah. then also... Yeah. You're playing with the geezer from the jam yeah. and you're playing in the specials. Yeah. I mean, it's an unbelievable output. Can you take, it? It? That's um, amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable output, you know. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Track two, Johnny. Yeah. The first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I, I thought about it because, you know, the obvious choice, I guess, is like the sort of sadder songs or something when you think of emotion. It hasn't got to be that. that. It can right. be joy. It can Good. be anything. Okay, yeah. Well, all oh, right. Well, joy. Well, um, I've not gone that route either. I'll tell you what it was, right? As I mentioned earlier, my, my old uh, and dear friend Paul McCabe, um, and we boxed like from the age of, I, got, I, don't, I, I guess from the age of like 12, 13, like right the way through to sort of 18, really important years, you know? Um, we must have sparred over like 3,000 rounds together, you know? Like, so uh, there was just a real bond and a real camaraderie with him. And, um, did you want to be, did both want to be boxers? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It, oh, it was our lives. Yeah. It was our lives. And every night, really, we'd be in the gym at the Fitzroy Lodge down in Lambeth, uh, every night, training, like I say, in the ring against each other, knocking bells out of each other. Then we'd go back to his mum, Mary's, um, on, on the, up near the Lambeth Walk, and we'd sit in his brother's bedroom. And it was there that I really started getting into music. That's the truth of it. And Paul introduced me to tunes. And, and the song I've gone for is Masters of War by Bob Dylan, because I remember Paul playing it to me. And it was there that it, Paul introduced me to The Clash for the first time and, and stuff as well. But, um, but I remember him... Uh, playing uh, Bob Dylan, Masters of War, and it hit me like a sledgehammer. You know, when you, 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 the lyrics were so powerful and so potent. And, and that evoked and what? It was, um, God, that's a good question, you know. That's a good question. I was kind of a, I don't know what the right phrase is, right? And, and a lot of it, when you look back now as an older man, you know, was unjustified. It's like that Cat Stevens song, Father and Son. You know, when you're a kid, you're just angry, man. You're trying to work it out. Jung, Carl Gustav Jung talks about the quest for wholeness. You know, you're looking for the truth in life. And let's be honest, like, you know, with what's pumped out of our TV and, and radio stations often, the shit that comes out of them, yeah. you know, it's kind of difficult for teenagers to find what's real yeah. and who to believe in, mm. you know. And, um, and I heard that song, Masters of War, you know. And I've, I, actually, I'm saying this now on the, on the hoof, like, because I've not really thought about it, but, you know, but that would have... something on you. Yeah, and that would have come at a time where, you know, like you say, you're watching the news and you're watching, you know, places getting bombed to shit and, you know, and all of that, and well, you're being told that it's... Late 80s. This would have been... So I won the title in 89 when I was 16. So working back from there, it would have probably been about two, three years before that. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about 86, I guess, 85, 86, and I would have been about 13 upwards, you know, and... Um, you know, and you're watching the news and you're seeing countries getting bombed to fucking pieces, you know, and kids having their faces burned off yeah. and shit. And you're being told that it's right yeah. and that it's glorious and that it's all of this. And then you hear Masters of War or John Lennon yeah. or, and you're like, that's my fucking truth. Yeah. Like, that's what I believe in, yeah. you know. And, um, and, and it's funny because of the show. I listened to it a couple of weeks ago, again, for the first time in a long, long while. And it's as potent now as it, I still get goosebumps when I hear it, you know, and... Um, I'll dance on your grave until I'm sure you're dead. <laughs> you know, you're just like, fucking hell. Yeah. And, and a man and an acoustic guitar, you know, and you just, um, it's the truth, isn't it? What's that old saying? Three chords and the truth, you know? And, um, and I remember hearing that song and, um, and then kind of going home from Paul's 
and I'm playing it again and again and again, you know, and the lyrics start to go in your head and these start to become your truth, rightly or wrongly, yeah. you know, I defend everyone's right to disagree with that, yeah. but, you know, it, it, uh, for what it's worth, it, was, it became my truth, you know. I, I think music's so important for that. I think if you, you know, if you're, a conf like, we're all confused at that age, aren't we? We mm. don't know what, what's coming, we don't know who we are, and, and yeah. that kind of journey to find out who you are is often going to be soundtracked by music. Yeah. And, and I think when something comes along, that shouldn't work. Like if you think of something that's going to be powerful, you presume a huge wall of sand. It's dealing with a, an acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah. You know, with, yep. with, a, with a, a very odd voice. Yeah. And yeah, yet it, it resonates. Yeah. Like, and, and and I think, you know, I, it was the same with me and the Smiths and things like that. Yeah. It was all of that here, stuff. Here, it yeah. just it catches you at the right time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And. Uh, I mean, there's so many honourable mentions here as well. Like when it comes Frumming, to emotions, mate, or just like different kinds of emotions as well. But they all really clarify down to what you're talking yeah. about, which is the truth. Yeah. When someone's able, in, in any art form, you know, when I'm watching an actor, if I can't see the truth, I've got no interest. You know, I just turn it off. Um, and when I do see an actor giving me the truth, you know, when I give, when I see them giving me a part of themselves, uh, maybe a part of themselves we don't always want people to see. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you get vulnerable. And you show the darkness or you show... Because we can get something from that. Yeah. You know, we can learn from that. We can look at that part of ourselves and we don't even really know we're doing it, but that's the power of storytelling. And so when someone does it in any art form, but I would say almost most potently music, um, something connects, you know? I was thinking of um, Paul Weller, Time Passes, on a, on a completely different vibe. Mm. Um, but there's, a, like, lyrically, you know, when someone can do that lyrically... And it's funny because Paul is like one of my dear, dear friends. Like I adore the man. He's he's helped me in in, in a massive way, you know. And and, and um, you know, so he's a, he's a genuine friend. But the point is, this is that um, I've never discussed it with him that song because um, it's almost too precious, you know. I presume it's about obviously, you know, a, a marriage breakup and and stuff like that. And but I know what it was about for me when I heard it because you make these songs your own, don't Thank you? You know, and some of the lyrics within that, you know, and it's so full of love. And so full of, um, and without doubt, that um, song and pieces of art like that song have helped me behave um, in a way that you look back and you think, I'm glad I behave like that. You know, like, in, in, you know, I've gone through a marriage breakup and things, you know, and, and, and you, you hear of people um, putting their heart out on the, on the page or the record or whatever, you know, and you kind of think that's what I want to be. You yeah. know, that's who I want to be, you know, like, and um, I'm only saying that particular example because in that song, that's what he talks of. And it's kind of about the breakup of a marriage and he sort of meets an ex-lover yeah. in the street and, you know, and he talks about the conflicting emotions and it's how painful real. it is. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? And then it ends with like such kind of love and hope, you know, and they're kind of wishing each other or he's wishing her nothing but yeah. love as they go forward. And it, it, I, I find it so beautiful, stuff like that, when people can do that in four verses or five verses. That's an astonishing art form. Yeah. Astonishing. You know, like um, there's a song by um, Bruce Springsteen on another level. And I'm not like a huge Springsteen fan. I couldn't name loads of his songs. But I stumbled across a song called Highway 29, you know. And within that, you know, he kind of, he's a shop salesman, a shoe shop salesman. And he meets a customer and falls in yeah. like lust or love. Um, as he's fitting a shoe. And then they end up going on the road together. They rob a bank. It all goes pear-shaped. 
you know, they end up in a hotel and then they end up in a police shootout and she dies. And just before it happens, he kind of realises that it's him that's caused it. Like, all within four verses. Yeah, that's not a two-hour film, is it? It's astonishing, isn't it? (laughs) You know, it's astonishing. I've written a script, right? It ain't easy to write something that's archetypally complete and sound and whole. So when I see someone who does it, I just love it, you know? What song made you happy when you were young? Oh, man, I was obviously a miserable little shit because I can't think of one. <laughs> no, no, there was, man. I mean, I mean, there were songs that you were euphoric. There were, like I said, those call to arms, like the Oasis, the, the big anthems and the Ocean Colour Scene anthems and, and all of that. What Go song made me Jimmy, happy? Because yeah. for us, we were probably 22, 23 when this happened. Yeah. So what, what, you know, what was them kind of, what, what was the first song you remember just feeling like, that's joyous, like, that's... Mm. Oh man, that's I put you on the spot here. Yeah. Sorry. No, man. because like it's interesting. Like it's an interesting thing. There's one I've chosen later on that I remember kind of hearing for the first time and going, "What is this?" Like um, yeah. a, a Velvet Underground song, which I'll come back to. But like that, like I remember hearing that and going, "Like wow!" And and there's another song I've chosen later, "Fool's Gold" by the yeah. Stone Roses, which um, for the clubbing years, you know, which like I remember that coming in, and that that was euphoric. Yeah. That was which I guess is happiness, isn't it? Yeah. It's funny because the reason I'm struggling, I think, is because what I associate with happiness now is kind of peace and serenity yeah. and calmness, you know? What was happiness then, then? I guess, like, in my teenagers, it was getting fucking smashed and being part of the gang and, and going out and feeling alive. And the truth of it is, you know, mistakenly, I think, you know, again, I, I, I defend people's right to uh, disagree with me. But when I look back on it now, what made me, what I felt was happiness then was being out of it. You know, um, that's what feeling alive felt like. Yeah. Um, or, or, or that's what I associated with feeling happy, was being out of it, which in a way is quite sad, really. Maybe that's why I'm struggling with a question. I yeah. could tell you countless songs that when they came on yeah. in the club, it would go Actually, off. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, like two foot in the air, sweat, yeah. you know, steam, dry ice, yeah. it was off. Um, and I would have associated that with being happy. And there's countless of those tunes, but, um, well, you know. Well, let's take you back to school then. And uh, yeah. for track three, and the song that reminds you of your time at school. Um, I'm trying to think what I chose now. Well, oh, you, um, cho- you picked two, and they're both absolute. Where have I gone? Oh crackers. yeah, yeah, of course. Well, yeah, and you know what? For, for similar reasons. Well, there's two, two, but but the first one again is is one that um, I have with Paul McRae. It's the Clash. Stay yeah. fr- stay free. And um, I, I left school at 13. I was hardly going then, if I'm honest. I went to a school in Camberwell, and I just didn't like it, rightly or wrongly. Was you a toe rag? Um, no, I weren't. Do you know what? The truth of it is this, right? Um, I'm sure there might have been a couple of teachers who disagree with that, but <laughs> the truth of it is this, is I was a good kid, you know? Like, I got top results at the 11-plus um, at primary school. In the old days, I probably would have gone to one of those, um, what do you call them, um, uh, you know, where you... Uh, the school where good kids are a skink go, you know. Um, I can't think of the name of it now. But anyway, you know, and um, but I didn't. There was an experiment that year. And so, you know, I went to, like, what was, by anyone's standards, a rough school, you know, yeah. in Camberwell. And um, and rightly or wrongly, because I think there was plenty of kids who went there who didn't feel this, you know. So maybe it was just something in my head. Yeah. Um, but I felt, like, fear, and I associated school with fear. Fear of And what? just fear of... Um, I mean, it was probably utter nonsense, and I was a really good fighter at the time, you know, so it weren't like, you know, but you know what it's like when you're a kid, you know, gangs and, yeah. and that sort of thing, you know, and, um, and, and uh, yeah, I just associated, I didn't associate it with a place of learning, I, so, I associated it with a place of heavy disruption, and, you know, there was a lot of shouting and honouring in class, you know, the classes were big and, and packed and stuff. You've like. got to them. Um, I had 
a confidence. Like to the exterior, I think I would have looked very confident. You know, like I was always able to smile and I knew how to kind of, I guess that was my kind of manipulation. I wasn't a bully or, you know, whatever people do to assert themselves in a group. Mine was kind of like, I was probably the joker of the pack really, you know, and I could be quite sort of gregarious and fun and, you know, make people laugh and stuff. Um, but then I very quickly became kind of a loner, you know, is the truth of it. I didn't, maybe because that used to exhaust me. You know, when you're, you're so busy trying to please everyone and make yeah. everyone like cool and like you and everything, it's fucking exhausting. So I was just much more comfortable. Once I found that little boxing gym, that was me. Yeah. You know, that was my little church. It's very much what my, my film that I wrote, Jawbone, is yeah. all about, really. It's an exploration of that. Yeah. As I've got older in life and explored spiritual principles like meditation and prayer, I realized that's what I had unknowingly yeah. in that boxing club as a kid. I'd go in there and I would focus um, or meditate, if you like, you know, um, a form of meditation. And, I, mean, I promise you, know, you, I've had this conversation with someone not too long ago right. where they said to me, like, what, what makes you happy and yeah. what makes you switch off? Yeah. And, and I've tried everything. I've gone to these beautiful lakes, these mountains, and I think, right, I'm going to go this, this. I'll get my set. When that buzzer goes in the ring, yeah. and I know for the next two minutes I'm going to be sparring someone, yeah. I just think about that. Yeah. And well, you're then, present, aren't you? Someone Completely. You know, someone said that the, the, the word prayer... Its original derivation means presence, yeah. you know? So the verb to pray is to become present, yeah. you know? It's just simply that. And, and you don't have to sit on a mountaintop or wear yeah. specific robes or believe in any particular denomination to do that. Whatever it is that makes you become present makes you become present yeah. and brings you peace, like, you know? And, and so strangely, you know, if someone's throwing punches at your head, you're not even thinking about two seconds up the yeah. road, let alone... Completely. what's going to happen in school tomorrow yeah. or whatever it is that makes you fearful. Yeah. So I'd go in that gym, you know, which is a place that some people would understandably associate with violence and stuff. It wasn't. Mm. It was a beautiful, peaceful place for me, a place and of camaraderie. Perception as well, I think. I think yeah. people do still... Um, I'm, I'm taking someone this evening to the boxing club and yeah. I can tell already he's, he's petrified of what yeah. he's going to see in there. And yeah. I keep trying to explain, you're going to meet the nicest people you've ever met in here. Yeah, sure. And you're going to have a smashing time. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. But it is that preconception that it is all the tow rags from the, you know, the local area all putting in there and, and yeah. they're all banging lumps out of each other. Yeah. To a degree, that is the case. Yeah. But, but there's so much respect in there. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and... Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. And, and it's such a kind of interesting metaphor for life, which is, again, why I used it in the in the context of the film, was, um, you know, it, it's a play, all spiritual principles that we know or we hope uh, hold up in life, like, you know, the principle of hard work, the principle of kindness, the principle of tolerance, brotherhood, all of those things, community. Um, they're all under that roof you know, of a boxing club, like that's what happens. I did some publicity yesterday because uh, Jawbone's going to be shown at a festival, the box set film festival in November, November the 2nd and 3rd. Sorry to do a plug, but um, it's at the Genesis Cinema in East London. They've, they've taken it over because East London's kind of, you know, one of the homes of boxing, yeah. I guess. But um, AGMP are this really amazing company. They do brilliant music festivals and stuff, but they're going to put this thing on celebrating uh, boxing in film. Wow. They've got like Raging Bull, like some of the classic films, you're going to be able to see them on the big screen again. And God bless them, uh, for whatever reason, they've, they've asked Jawbone to be the lead film. So I'm really hum- like humbled and honoured. And we went over and did a big press day for it yesterday. And so I saw a lot of my old friends from my boxing days, people like Spencer Fearon, Steve Bunce, you know, now these guys are all top commentators now, Sky Just TV and everything. Steve and yeah, he's, Steve, Steve knew me when I was like 11, you know, and um, I've known him for years and years and years. And so... Um, you know, and people and Spencer Fearon, who's now like one of the top yeah. pundits on Sky Sports, and uh, a lovely, lovely man, Spencer. And, a, and a, uh, again, he has kind of faith in life, and uh, um, he's a gentleman, you know. And so it was lovely yesterday seeing those guys, and you instantly click as in, an instant kind of camaraderie again yeah. that goes back decades, you know. Yeah. And um, because you all went somewhere together, you know, and and it's not just about even the boxing, you know, but you you kind of inevitably you go through life together. You you when you lose loved ones, you know, when yeah. like your your grandmother dies or. Something, Think those guys are the ones around watching yeah. you cry and putting their arm around you when you lose a fight and you're in the yeah. dressing room uh, lost and, and lonely and uh, you know they're the ones who put your arm around you and tell you it's going to be all right and yeah. uh, it taught me all sorts of things that you know and again you know um, in an age back then where um, you know with regards to kind of diversity and things but there was all sorts of you know uh, like the tabloid newspapers and uh, you know all those sort of shitbag pumping out messages of like racism and stuff back then and you know I'd be under that roof you know my brothers were black my heroes were yeah. black you know so I learnt my politics there as well you know and and, and not in some kind of um, you know uh, fake way that politicians are sort of telling you you got to believe you know but like just by being around each other yeah. you know by being genuine brothers yeah. um, going through those trials together um, I was blessed, man, you know, and again, it comes back to music again, the clash and stuff like, you know, introducing me to, uh, those kind of ideals and, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I feel, I feel blessed really in some ways that I did get into the stuff I got into. So when you was at school, mm. um, aside from finding the gym, mm. 
um, and, and saying that you felt, you know, you was, you was quite a confident kid and you was a joker in the pack and stuff like that. Would, did, did you just want to be a boxer? Had, had acting come into your head at this point, you know, um, was you writing anything? Or like um, I certainly weren't writing. No, Jawbone's the first thing I've ever written, yeah. ever. Um, I, I messed around with, like, poetry and that. Like, you know, I ran away to Paris when I was, like, 17. I gave up the boxing, fell in love, and, and ran away to Paris. And that changed my world over there, you know? Like, that was the first time, really, that I'd hung out with students because yeah. I missed my school years, you know? They yeah. were all spent boxing. And... Um, and I went to Paris and got a job as a dishwasher and just fell in love, like, you know, and, um, and that changed my world, you know. Like, so you fell in love with Paris or fell in love with... Uh, I uh, fell in love with yeah. life, I think, you know, like, because right. my world opened up. Because up yeah. until that point, rightly or wrongly, my existence was in that boxing club, yeah. you know. My, my life was totally focused on it. I won the national title at 16, yeah. completely focused on that, and that was going to be my future and all of that, you know. Um, uh, and so... Um, you know, my boxing club got me an apprenticeship and, and stuff, you know, it was all, that was my world. So when I went to Paris, my world just opened up. You know, I discovered Oscar Wilde, I discovered, um, uh, you know, uh, new music and stuff. I discovered theatre, literature, classic literature. I discovered, I mean, it was, was mind-blowing, you know. Did you feel you had a thirst for it? Um, oh, yeah, like an insatiable thirst yeah. for it, you know. And, and again, all of those songs that I'd been listening to up to that point, that it informed who I was yeah. kind of becoming, came alive. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden I'm in France, you know, yeah. and um, learning a new language. And, and I worked in this massive restaurant there, the Chicago Pizza Pie Factory. It was off of, um, off of uh, the Champs-Élysées, you know. And so I'd walk up the Champs-Élysées every morning to work. And, uh, and, and the girl who I was with was lovely at the time. We didn't make it, you know, we yeah. were young, you know. The French she, girl. Yeah, and she was kind of from a, a, like a sort of well-to-do family. And so it was just, it was eye-opening on so many levels. I started seeing things that I'd never really seen before. And, all, like, and the reason I mentioned the restaurant is there was loads of staff there. There must have been 50 of us. And I was a dishwasher, le plongeur, they call it. And uh, so I was in the kitchens in the dishwashing thing with like, all of the French Ghanaian guys, you know, because um, I couldn't speak French. At, yeah. But all of the other people working in a restaurant were all students and, you know, they were taking like a gap year or stuff yeah. like that. So they were all like into poetry and they all, or, or some of them were in bands, you know. My yeah. flatmate Rupert was really into literature and uh, he was like, he was reading Victor Hugo in French, you know. And yeah. so he got me into reading for the first time and stuff, you know, and, and it, it blew my mind. My world opened up, you know, and by the time I was coming back to London... A couple of years later, it was about two and a half years later, I knew I had to return to London. I was skint and I'd split up with uh, Cecile, the girl I was with at the time. And, um, and I made my way back to London on a mission, you know. I just knew that I wasn't going to go back to locksmithing. That's what I'd done yeah. previously. And by this time, I would have been about 19, coming up to 20, I think, yeah. like 20, uh, 21 maximum. And... Um, I just knew I wanted to be an actor. I'd really got into film out there massively. There was a little independent cinema, um, like proper like velvet curtains. You could take drink in there then. You could take like, you know, cans of beer in. Yeah. Um, I used to go in with a chopping board and a knife, believe it or not, and swasses on and cut the sausage <laughs> while I'm watching a film. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, it was amazing. Like that yeah. was my introduction really to cinema, you yeah. know, and I was watching Kubrick. Like, um, you know, things like that, where Clockwork Orange wasn't banned over there. Yeah. And the fact that I knew it was banned in London made it special, yeah, you know? So I'm watching, I must have watched that 20 times. There was a film called Backbeat, talking about music, that was about the early Beatles story. Oh, um, Do you remember that film? Yeah. I have watched that film yeah. so many times. It's, it's great, isn't it? Because it's Stephen Dolph. Yep. Uh, Ian Hart. Ian Hart. As John Lennon. Lennon. One of the great... It. 
performances. I've met him in real life. Oh, really? And I had a bit of a gushy moment where you're yeah. just like, Ian, mate, you know, we got nominated for a BAFTA the same year. Oh, And we maybe. sat and had a bit of a giggle over it because I said, look, the truth of it is, mate, I might not be an actor if it weren't for yeah. you. I could say that about a few people because it's a journey, you know, yeah. and different people inspire you at different times. But I watched that film, if I must have watched it 20 times in that cinema, yeah. you know, I just went back time, you that know. That scene at the end when he, uh, Astrid says, I'll give you back tonight. Oh. And he watches the Beatles twist yeah. and shout. Look at that. Mate. Got goosebumps. Both <laughs> of us have got so goosebumps. Mate. That's mental, isn't it? Look at and that. he just wow. fades out into the yeah. crowd as they're yeah, just man. literally, and yeah. Lennon gives him the eye. Yeah. Oh, mate. Yeah, powerful film, isn't it? You know, and um, yeah, so. No so, one you know, else remembers that film. No, it's no, beautiful. I've got it on my DVD shelf, that. mate. I've got it on my shelf indoors. You know, it's a, it's a great, great film. Yeah. And um, I need to watch it again. I've not watched it for years, you know, so I don't know how much it's dated and that, but it was a powerful film. And yeah, and they got a real kind of super group together at the time didn't they from that the super group Thurston Moore or something Thurston like? Moore right yeah it was uh, Dave Pierna from Soul Asylum it yeah. was Mike Mills from REM and uh, the Greg Dully from Af- Greg Dully, Afghan Dully, that's right, Afghan Wigs, yeah. yeah, and I saw them live, and I knew he they was... They played the MTV yeah. Awards, they played Money. Yeah. Fucking awesome. Yeah, man, yeah. <laughs> I saw them, um, Afghan Wigs, and I, yeah, I saw them at the Bataclan in Paris when I was over oh, there. Oh, really? Yeah, and that was the other thing, I got into live music like out there, really properly, like, started getting into it out there, and um, so I, by the time I come back from Paris, I was changed. Yeah. I remember I had a big pair of cowboy boots, <laughs> and all my pals, like Matthew and Paul McCabe and that. Like, oh, you rocked into the boxing and, club? And, uh, oh, yeah, boots. like, you know, and down the old Kent Road. <laughs> <laughs> like, like we'd, we'd get into fucking scraps and that down the old Kent Road because uh, you know, Brilliant. and I was massively into the Smiths by then, you know. Yeah. So like, you know, having a big quiff and cowboy boots weren't going down too well, you know. And <laughs> but I loved it, you know. I loved yeah. it. It was it was mind opening, yeah. you know. And um, they were my student years, really, yeah, even though I weren't studying. Um, so yeah, I can't remember how we got into all that, but that's what that kind of period gave me, and that Brilliant. was that was the transition from boxing. Really, was yeah. was um, was living out there, you know, and um, yeah. How exciting! Yeah, man, I, I, and it's funny because the girl Cecile, obviously, we've lost touch. You know, obviously, she got married, I think, and had kids yeah. and everything, and uh, so I've not seen her for decades and decades, you know. But um, I'd love to say thank you one day because yeah. her and her family were beautiful to me, you know, and uh, yeah. I've met some good people along the way, and um, I'll never, yeah, that was very. If I could, if I could. I would have it that every every teenager would get a year of travel, you yeah. know, just just like in your, in those years when you're 17, 18, 19, where you get to go to Europe or somewhere like that, and you get to meet people from different backgrounds to yourself, different uh, tax brackets to yourself, you know, just different people. Yeah. Rupert, the lad I lived with, you know, he studied at Stowe, you know, like you couldn't have got two more different people. Yeah. He used to wear a bow tie, yeah. you know, and have like Victor Hugo in French under his arm, yeah. you know, and uh, they called us the Prince and the Pauper at the time because we were kind of party animals. And yeah, used to before your cowboy boots, right? And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I was good, yeah, you know, it was, um, yeah, there was, there was an evolution. I went for a few looks, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever I was reading or listening to at the time, the cowboy boots were kind of yeah. But um, I've got I've yeah. got a few shots with some really bad kind of attempts at Morrissey quiffs growing up. Oh yeah, we've yeah. all been there, mate. We've yeah. all been there. I was in my favourite calf this morning, like, and I know the staff really well in there. And we was talking genuinely. I'm not lying. We was talking about this. Yeah. And and and, uh, and we was laughing about it. And I said, Oh no, I had a quiff back then. And I was like, No way. And um, anyway, I showed them a photo. Funny enough, of my carte orange, my little travel card from right. Paris. I've got it on my phone, I'll show you in a bit, but um, yeah, and it was me with my Smiths looking that, and um, oh, it weren't a, weren't a pretty look. I didn't quite pull it off, but I didn't care. <laughs> you know when you don't care at that age, do you? Of course. I course. thought I did, yeah. No one's going to be looking at your barnet when you got cowboy boots no. on, mate. And can I say, my other song, the, the honourable mention, was Bob Marley, No Woman, No Cry, and the reason for that was, was um, as I said, my boxing club got me an apprenticeship 
and um, as a locksmith over at Barry Brothers in Paddington. So from the ages of 13 to sort of 17 when I went to Paris, that's what I did there as well. And I used to be in the van with uh, a locksmith called Peter Singh. And he's moved to Trinidad now. He, he's, that's where he's from, Trinidad and Tobago. And he, he made his money and, but you know, built a house over there for his family, bless him. And... Um, and Pete was from Trinidad, and again, like, you know, we just kind of uh, got each other into music and that, really. And he used to hate my indie music. You know, I'd have, like, Thousand Yard Stare on and yeah. stuff, you know, and uh, Carter and, you know, and all of that. And um, and he, what the fuck is this? He'd say, you know, and then, um, and we compromised with Bob Marley, yeah. you know, and he bought me it. He bought me the um, Legend album, yeah. you know? And, um, yeah, and so that was our kind of little compromise. He'd let me play that in the van. And then when he'd go out to do the jobs, I'd stick my stuff on full Blair. Yeah. And, um, and I remember when I was going to Paris, Pete was one of the men who told me to go. Because it was a big step. Yeah. Huge step. None of my family had ever really travelled and stuff, you know. Like, and to, the idea of going over there was like... And going blind, really. I never had a job to go out there to. And I never had much money. It was Cecile's family, really, who made it possible for me to right. go out. And I, it was lovely, really. And, um, again, very humbling when I look back. Cause, um, but... Pete was one of those who said to me, like, go, go, you know? And, uh, and the day before I went, he gave me Legend as a, as a, on CD. Oh, and it was a beautiful thing, yeah. And we've, we've, we've just been speaking this week. He's in London for a couple of weeks, man. Oh, so we're going to meet up, which is beautiful, yeah, you know? Yeah. Track four, Johnny. Yeah. First song you bought from a record shop. Right, where's my little list here? Oh, no, I know that one, actually. Well, again, it's a bit of a cheat because... Um, there, we, had a, we had a record shop on the wall with called A1 Stores. And I know for a fact that my mum and my nan took me in there, like from, it must have been from like 11 onwards. Like, I, I know I've got a nine-year-old nephew now, probably about that age, like, you know. And I used to love TV theme tunes. I was a weird kid, you know, yeah. like, and, and I don't think that's anything prophetic. I don't think that's why I'm an actor or anything like that. I just watched a lot of telly and, yeah. like, and there was, but weird ones, like, for a kid of that age, I used cool. to buy, like, Hill Street Blues. I've got a seven inch of it, mate. No way. I've got, got the police car on the front. And Mike Post and someone Carpenter wrote That's that. right. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's un I love that you said that. And it was like, like, and cheers, you know, like, or the littlest hobo. It was good feed tunes or back then, the mate. Sweeney and yeah. like, you know, but you could buy them on record on seven inch. Totally. And so the truth of it is, right, the uncool answer is I know I kind of bought some of those, but I couldn't remember. Yeah. The truth is I would never remember which was first and it was all a blur. And the truth of it is it weren't me buying them. It was my mum and my nan who yeah. bought them for me. The song that I remember like, was a moment for me was um, there's a record shop on, it was massive, Tower Records on Piccadilly. Do you remember it had the big yeah, red course. and yellow sign or yellow with red writing, I think it was. And it's a clothes shop now, it's gone, but it was a huge record store. And I was over there looking for something. And, and again, it would have been around the Paul McCabe era. So I would have been over there looking for the Clash or whatever, some record or, or just fucking about. Like, you know, you used to get a red bus, uh, red bus rover and you could get as many buses in a yeah. day as you wanted. And so I used to love going over to Piccadilly and Soho. And mm. again, you know, it was like this new world I'd discovered. And, um, and I remember being in Tower Records and they used to have a DJ in the shop. That's right. And they had like a booth thing and I can still sort of see the booth. It was like a sort of a spaceship looking thing in the middle of the shop. And, um, and What Goes On by the Velvet Underground came on. Um, and this kind of hypnotic thing like just kicked in um, and I remember like genuinely remember this is not some nostalgic thing I remember genuinely thinking what the fuck is this like wow and hearing it and bearing in mind at this time I probably would have been about 15 something like that 
And so I was kind of an awkward teenager, you know, like, and it, it would have took a lot for me at that time to go up to the DJ and ask what it was, you know, like I would have sat and thought about it yeah. for minutes and minutes before yeah. doing it, you know, but something compelled me. And, I, and, I, and I've got vague memories of that, of going up to the DJ and going, excuse me, mate, what's this record? Yeah. And he went, yeah, it's Velvet Underground, man. Like, and I was like, yeah, what's the song called? And he's like, what goes on? And then kind of running over to the shelf and finding it in amongst all the records. Yeah. And it was massive in there. I would have had to have sort it out. Yeah. And kind of nice thinking about it, really, because you don't think about it at the time. You're yeah. just getting on with it, aren't you? But when I look back, I like the idea of looking at me as a teenager, being excited by it. Yeah. And um, so, look, the truth of it is, right, I'd be lying if I said I remembered what happened next, but I kind of know that what would have happened was I would have bought it and then I would have rushed home to listen to it, you know? And my poor mum, bless her, like, um, we speak about this a lot because I was a locksmith. I had a fucking great chub lock on my door. You know, like most people have a do not enter sign. You know, when you're a teenager, this is my space, do not enter. I had like a chub lock. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd lock the door and I, I remember I had an electric guitar and I never really learned to play it well enough, but... And an electric guitar, and then I had my records. Yeah. And I'd lock that door, and, I'd, and, and we lived in a big council block, you know, so it weren't really great for the neighbours. Luckily, yeah. my nan and my uncles all lived downstairs. But, yeah. but, um, but even so, you'd still get people banging up, and my mum would say, turn that fucking music down. But I'd have it on foot, you know, and I'd turn it down by one, and yeah, then you'd gradually course. turn it up again. But I remember what goes on, like, could, you know, rushing home, I would have listened to it. Mm. And, and that was the first time I kind of felt like I'd discovered something, you know, like I'd it's discovered something. Is it alternative? Oh, yeah. And, and even now, when I listen to it now, there's a few songs. I was talking to my friend Mark Baxter the other day, and we, sat like, um, we was at the Paul Weller gig the other yeah. day in Greenwich. And uh, before the band came on, you know, they always play some tunes to warm the crowd up. And uh, Tomorrow, Never, um, Tomorrow Never Knows comes on with the Beatles. And we are just saying there's a few songs like What Goes On, Tomorrow Never Knows. You've got to remember when they were written, like yeah. 30, what, 30, 40 years ago, yeah. you know. And some. Even if, if they were released now, yeah. bands now would still be breaking ground if they released them now, you know? Them, them, specifically them two records. Yeah. Not, a lot of other stuff by the Beatles sounds obviously incredible. Yeah. Tomorrow Never Knows sounds like it's from a different planet. And I'm going to yeah. remind you of that kind of feeling when we get to another one of your tracks because I view that exactly the same. Right, okay, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? That, that was, um, and I could easily have had that on there as well. You know, those, those songs of discovery where yeah. you're just like, what the fuck is yeah. this? And you can't listen to it enough. Yeah. It's like you want to dissect it. You want to get into it. And yeah. it's funny because what goes on, you know, again, I, like I used to be very, very moved by lyrics. I was definitely into songs with powerful lyrics. That's why the Ocean Colour Scenes, the Oasis, Noel, Noel Gallagher, all of those guys, you know, um, and, and those singers actually, Liam, uh, Simon Fowler and that used to sing to me, you know, like I, I, I really felt that. But um, but the songs like What what Goes On, where I couldn't even now, sitting here now, we yeah. could sit and think about it for a minute and I'd get there, but I couldn't really tell you what it's about lyrically, yeah. you know, like, but it's hypnotic. Sonically. Some, sonic, yeah. yeah, something kicks in, doesn't it? And you just, mm. it's a hypnotic tune. And so I've got really vivid memories of being in Tower Records and yeah. going up to the DJ and saying, yeah, mate, what's this, you know, and yeah. feeling cool that like I'd, you know. I often yeah. have these discussions with people on this podcast about, um, how, how, instant, how, how instant music is now, whereas, like, you know, you could say it to me now, and within 30 seconds or less, I'm playing it on my phone. Yeah. But, and we argue about there's no journey anymore, but mm. nothing has highlighted that point more than what you just said. You stood there for a couple of minutes thinking about yeah. how to approach the DJ in the record shop, then found out, then went back, yeah. bought it, then run home and put it on and played it on repeat in your bedroom. Yeah. And there's something where you treasure something like that because of that 
memory yeah. and that journey of it not just being bang in your hand straight yeah. away. Yeah. You know, you've got something tangible as well. Yeah. And you go a discovery kind of thing. Completely a discovery. But, but the, the interesting thing about it is like, you know, and I, and I don't know the answers here. I mean, this is me kind of admitting that I'm, I am, it's like father and son again, isn't it? I've yeah. become that old uncle kind of thing yeah. now, you know, who listens to my tunes and tries to impress them on me. <laughs> Nephew is not interested, yeah. you know, he's into these things. But, um, but you know, because obviously we feel that because it's what spoke to our heart at the yeah. time. But you know, like every now and again, you know, when I'll see a gig and stuff, like I'm a good friend, like a, a lovely friend of mine, Michael Maris, who I grew up with in the same kind of area and stuff, and he kind of manages some of the top grime artists now and stuff, like you know. So look, I'm a 45 year old white man, you know, like obviously on some levels I don't get that music. It, it's not my thing, you know. Yeah. I've not given it enough time to sit and work out what it is. But when you see the kids at those gigs. And it's going off. Something is happening, man. Like they're into something. They've that lovely lyric in um, in Father and Son. They've found something going on. Yeah. You know. And so it's still happening, but just in a different way that maybe we don't understand. I, we I love understand. when I see it. Like, it, like, yeah, it's not ours to understand in no, a way. It's uh, their time now. But you that know? that is fifteen-year-old kids going mental at clash gigs. Yes. That's, Totally. That's us with our quiffs. Yeah. Smith's gigs. And the, and the irony is, right, is I kind of want it. Like, <laughs> like I want to I want to be at that grime gig having it with them, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and then you forget that you can't, man. It's their time, <laughs> you know? It's their time. And, and, and if I do that, I look like a Wally, which is why it's so incredible and impressive when someone, um, and you can't fake this, man. You just can't fake it. But when someone does kind of transcend it a bit and, yeah. and goes like, like a Weller or someone yeah. where they're still relevant, you know, yeah. in their own way, and still exploring and still experimenting and um, like you know I won't talk too much in it but I, I, I don't know that pulls up to something now like where, where I heard about it the other day and 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 uh, and it's groundbreaking again where you're just like fucking hell man I love that he's giving opportunities to yeah. some bands coming through and stuff and you just think fuck I love that yeah. genuinely genuinely passionate and interested about what's going on now yeah. and um, and I like that because it can inspire me as an actor I get it as an actor definitely I can take I can take inspiration from uh, mad places, like mad places. When you, know. you when you listen to music, what do you see in your head? Oh wow, what a question. Okay, uh, what, what do you mean? Like what what do I see? Do you picture like what what they're singing about? Can you, do you sort of storyboard it, or or, or do you just? I, I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going. No, no, it's question. interesting. It's a good question like, because for me, like sometimes if I've got music on on headphones, I'm in the video. I'm, I'm I, what I'm doing walking down the street. That's the video, and, I, and I'm picturing it. Or sometimes mm. I'm driving along, I'm picturing scenarios like of what that what's happening here, and, and I, I can get lost in it, like visualizing yeah what what's yeah. Bit happening in yeah. that. And I just wondered as, as a. As I mean, a, I've, I've 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 done that quite literally, and because I directed for the first, I wanted to direct. Yeah, I directed a Paul Weller video called uh, for for a song called Gravity. How did which, how did the concept for that come about? That like, was that was exactly what you said, really. So I, I, I we we obviously we we collaborated on Jawbone. So the story was right. Uh, for those who don't know, I've said it a lot in press already, but um, for any of your listeners who don't know, like, so I wrote this film called Jawbone, right? And it's it's kind of semi biographical. It, it, it isn't, it isn't. Right? It's kind of a love letter and a thank you note to the people who ran my boxing club as a kid because they really held me at a time when it was important, as I've already spoken about, you know? So I wrote this film. The script was written. We had no director, no budget, no anything at the time. It was me, the script, and my lovely 
producer, Mike Elliott. And, um, and, and I only gave my script to three people. And one of them was Mark Baxter, a dear, dear friend of mine who, who's part of Monomedia now. He, they make great documentaries. Made the Peter Blake documentary, the Tubby Hayes documentary. Um, they're making great things, him and Lee Cogswell. Anyway, Mark read my script. He's friends with Paul Weller. And he was at a Weller gig, like an a, a invite-only thing, a radio show thing. And as part of that gig, Paul Weller had mentioned that one of the things that he hadn't done but would still like to do was write a film score. And Mark had just read my script. And God bless him, he put my script into Paul's hand. And uh, three weeks later, we had a meeting with Paul Weller, who was one of my artistic heroes. You know, was Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It was in Bar Italia, at his request. We was going to get some posh room in some wanky members club. Yeah. You know, because um, we think that's what you're meant to do. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, my producer, was trying to book a room. And then Bax come back and went, no, nah, well, I want to meet in the office. I said, where's the office? He said, Bar Italia. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so we're in Bar Italia, well as smoking, like doesn't give a don't give a fuck. Really? Does his own thing. Mike, my producer, turns up with his shoes polished and, you know, you know, he's like, what are you doing, Mike? He went, well, it's Weller, you know? Like, and he does. It has an effect on you a bit. And what I should say, right, this is 100% true. I've said it publicly. It's a fact, right? When I wrote the script, just because I wasn't a trained writer, I thought, how am I going to do this? How am I going to... And so I went away up to Whitstable, got a little place by the sea, just rented a room, and, um, and I made a playlist of 26 songs. Uh, no, 24 songs. Six of them were Paul Weller songs. This was before we'd ever met, before anything. But they were just songs that categorically um, delivered an emotional punch that I wanted to get in specific scenes and moments that I knew had to be kind of in the film. What this film was made up of, I took songs with me that I knew spiritually got there. Yeah. And, and six of them were Weller songs. And by providence, he ended up writing a score for the film, which is unbelievable. So, you know, um, I can't remember why I've mentioned all this and what the relevance was to... Uh, we was talking about Paul being relevant today, was we? And um, oh, you was, No, you were saying about... Um, Do you picture... Picture things, yeah. So anyway, so we went through the whole... He ended up then writing the soundtrack for the film. Yeah. Um, and it's a stunning, stunning soundtrack. Like, what he did with it was unique. And he always said he was going to be unique. And he wrote this beautiful song called The Ballad of Jimmy McCabe. And Jimmy McCabe is who I play in the film. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. To be honest, what we tell in the film, he tells it again in five yeah. verses. You know? He understood that character on a level that... Um, when I heard the song, I got emotional, like, because it really helped me at the time. I was starting to doubt myself and doubt my script. And when I heard the song, I thought, well, if no one else gets it, he does. Yeah. And it was, and, and that song, like, I, I, to be honest, I didn't even put it in today because I just yeah. don't know where to even place that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it's a fucking Paul Weller song, kind of about me in some weird way. Yeah. But it was like we created that character together because we worked for years then developing the film yeah. together which is very rare normally you'd finish the film and then get someone in to do the soundtrack yeah, course, yeah. but he was the first one on board before any actors before anyone so I'd be sending him new scenes as I'd written them and he'd be sending me back demos and stuff as he was yeah. recording them and that influenced my writing it was amazing he'd come down to McGuigan's gym with me and record sounds and rhythms in the gym and it was a beautiful beautiful experience so we got to the end of it with a friendship intact yeah. like a dear friendship because you go through hard times as well and he really helped me on a couple of those and you know and it was a painful time for me at the time my marriage had broken up and you know he was just around man he was around at an important time in my life and um 
It's a beautiful film, Johnny. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that, you know. And, um, well, if anyone wants to see it on the big screen, November the 2nd, the Box Set Film Festival, it's genuinely selling out because the whole boxing community are kind of coming out for this festival a bit now. So if you want to come, get your tickets online now. But um, Ray Winston, Ray Winston, Michael Smiley, one of the great actors working today. Ian McShane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the beautiful McGuigan family who are in my heart at the moment. They've just suffered a very tragic loss. And... um, um, we all have really uh, the beautiful daughter Nika who was a dear friend of mine um, lost her battle with cancer uh, this week you know so um, it's very poignant in my mind at the moment um, there were some beautiful beautiful people involved in that film we were blessed to have made it together and um, yeah it's going to be shown on November the 2nd And um, I can't recommend it enough mate. nice one man yeah it's, it's, a, it's a cracker but we got to the end of that experience and, um, and I knew I wanted to direct next you know and, um, and, and we had a chat one day Paul was in his studio up in um, Woking and um, and and uh, gravity. I, I'd heard that song at demo level. It, stunning, stunning song, stunning song. You know, yeah. music's changed now. Like you know, what gets released and how it gets released. And I know Paul still does big figures and huge gigs and all of that sort of stuff. He's a legend. But you know, if that song was released around the time of Stanley Road, it'd be an all-time like. Yeah. You know, it's a classic song. And um, and I said to him, Paul, is anyone um, doing a video for Gravity? Like you know. And he went, why? What, what are you thinking, mate? And I said, like, I said, uh, look, I'd love to pitch for it. You know, I'd love to put forward my visual ideas. Yeah. So this is how we got onto this. Was I had a vision for what I thought the song was about? Yeah. You know, like a kind of eternal love, really. And um, and um, and bless him, man. He turned around. He went, no, man, you can do it. It's yours. You can do it. And I went, whoa, 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 hold on. And then my bottle went a bit. You know, I went, you better listen to my idea at first. He went, you're good, then. And I told him this big, long-winded idea about love and fucking you know being scared to love but you know how sometimes people who pass on give us strength you know like and because of the way they live their lives you know and um and my dear friend Nika was one of those actually she shone brightly she really lived her life while she was on this planet and she just made a a film that's going to be coming out next year and you know and um and that's where I gained my strength from you know is is uh people like my grandma and you know, and um, and I thought the song was about that. And I told Paul that. And he went, like, fucking hell, mate. It's only a two and a half minute song. <laughs> he went, what are you making, Ben-Hur? <laughs> but he gave me the gig, man. He gave oh, me the gig. And, um, and so that was my first ever time directing. And so that was an example where I really yeah. did have a vision. And then I got together the team who I thought could bring it off, you know. And yeah, and so I made, made the video, yeah. yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Track five. The yeah. song that soundtracked your years in Clubland. Oh, yeah, I don't even need to look it up, really. Fool's Gold. Um, That's the one that sounds yeah, like from Outer Space. That um, could sit next to Tomorrow Never Knows. It's right? there, isn't it? It's right in there. With, with Yeah, What Goes On, Tomorrow yeah. Never Knows. Just those songs where you just go, fuck it now, you know? And um, yeah. it, it, um, you Couldn't even put it in a genre. No, no. Just sounds otherworldly. No. Yeah, and I... And, I um, and, and the thing with me was, right, was I weren't really... I was a boozer, really, you know? Like, I'm not anymore, you know? I don't drink anymore or drug, you know, but... Booze was my thing, really, you know, and, and I grew up around the old Kemp Road, and and then, like I say, until those like those bands came along, Ocean Colosseum, Oasis, and that. Before I kind of found my tribe, if you like, we were kind of going to clubs that weren't really me, you know, like like we we were down the old Kemp Road and doing that whole sort of scene, and that was kind of just like you know. Um, was that dance music? Yeah, kind of, you know, like... And, and when were we talking, 89, 90? That would have been around 89 then, yeah, about 90, yeah, around 89, 90, right. you know, and, like, I, I can't even remember him, like, to be honest, I don't remember the names, like, Pat o, fucking Banton or whatever, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, it'd be some great tunes, you know, Chaka yeah. Khan come on or something, yeah. you know, or, and, but the truth of it is I can't even really remember because I just don't associate with it. Yeah. I don't associate it as being part of that scene, you know, and... Um, 
Um, you know, but Fool's Gold would come on. And again, it was like it, was like it united everyone. You know, and, and then more interestingly, we went a, a little bit later, part of the, the company I was a locksmith for, there was a few guys in there who were big into the dance scene. There was a guy, Finbar and stuff. And they were kind of hanging out with Adamski and all them lot, all those kind of DJs. There was a really cool scene up and around King's Cross and stuff. And there was a club there in um, Russell Square. I can't remember the name of the club. King, King's Cross? Uh, no, Russell Square, sort of, um, it was on Russell Square, near the ULU, you know, like, we used to go and see loads of gigs in the ULU, a bit later on, we saw Pulp and all those guys play there, Thousand Yards there, um, saw some great bands there at the ULU, but um, Afghan Wigs I saw there, yeah. um, LCD Sound System, you know, um, but, um, this club, whatever it was called, Adamski was a DJ there, he was, he used to, um, uh, DJ there and, and it was when him it was just around just before I think him and Seal had that massive hit was it well, I can't remember what killer. it was Killer yeah so it's 30 years ago this right. year because I, I literally got a message back from Adamski yesterday no way because I'm trying to get him on because ah, he made it was a big it? thing for me yeah and it's 30 years ago this year that Energy come out the one that there you go. was the big tune so that was so I was 15 then there yeah. you go there's your answer 15 wow <laughs> Because I've always wondered, I've always thought I need to go back and check out the times and stuff yeah. like, okay, yeah. So that, I remember Adamski, it was a big deal to us as young kids that Adamski was playing at this club. Yeah. And my locksmith mates were going to get us in. Like, Finbar was kind of in with them guys and stuff like that. Um, such exciting times. Oh, yeah. And it was like, yeah, no, we're going over and Finbar's got us on a guest list. Like, you know, <laughs> and, oh, yeah, and all of that. And then you're terrified that you're going to get a knockback oh, no. and all of that stuff going on. Like, you know, you'd have like poppers or whatever you know and it was just like you know it was um and so i remember that and again though we'd be over there and and we'd be like looking around for the hot girls or you know like we were kind of old kent road kids out of our depth is the truth of it we didn't really know what the music was until fool's gold would kick in yeah and it would always be near the end of the night and it would kick in and we would hit the fucking dance floor it was like here we go this is us you know and um and it was something about them even though they were from up north and things like that. Um, and the truth of it is they're classless. I don't know what class they're from is the truth yeah. of it. I don't know what their background is sort yeah. of socially and stuff. But to me, we were part of their gang. Yeah. You know, they were from the estate as far as we yeah. were concerned. And so when that song would kick in, um, it was just like the, the whole club would go off. Yeah. You know, like, and people would come and go, you know, a certain tune would come on and a section would leave yeah. the dance floor and go and buy their drinks or chat someone up or whatever. But when, Killer, uh, when um, Fool's Gold came on, it went off. And, you know, and that was kind of amazing, you know, yeah. That comes on the radio now. Does that take you yeah. straight back now? Oh, yeah. And, and, and one of my great, um, like, when I got sober, like, I'm, I'm like 12 years now, no drink or drugs, and I love it. I love my sober life. Like, but one of the things I kind of thought to myself when I first was trying to get sober, because it's difficult when you first try, you know, like, because I knew nothing else. Like, you know, I just knew, uh, all I really knew was how to be out of it, you know. And so all of a sudden to try and get in it and be in life and be present and stuff, there's lots of lovely benefits that come but you kind of think you've got to give up certain things. And I thought my nights of those nights were over, yeah. you know, like that euphoric thing. And then the Stone Roses reunited. And I never went to any of their gigs because I was always just skint and out of it, you know, like and just never really made it <laughs> to any of them, you know. Um, but they reformed. And um, Shane Meadows was making a documentary right. of it. And because of this is England and everything, you know, Shane's a dear friend of mine, bless him. And so, like, you know, he was like, fuck, you know, he was like, fuck. And they played this tiny, tiny gig 
for, um, I think they did it for the Adidas guys, for Gary and uh, Mikey, uh, Mike Chichuti and Gary Aspen, who are two lovely fellas, man. Like the loveliest, like working class Manx. And they kind of run Adidas, like the, the, the publicity side of it. So they're great friends of all those guys. Village Underground? It was, I think it was in Shoreditch. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I, I forgot the venue, to be honest, yeah. but it was that oh, gig. Mate. It, it was unbelievable, wasn't it? You went to that? I got invited, mate. Oh, wow. like, so yes. Vi- like, so Vicky McClure's my closest friend on the planet, right? Yeah. She's my dearest friend. We met on This Is England 86, but it born a friendship that is one of the most precious things in my life now. I right? just watched her last so, night. And, uh, oh, no. mate, I still, like, just like, unbelievable. Uh, you know, and an exceptional human being. So her and her partner, Johnny Owen, who's like, again, man, just a dear man, you know, we all went and my then Sven wife Garley's at the time. Ah, oh, yeah, great film. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Don't get mentioned enough, that film. Yeah. Him and Vicky met on that. And um, yeah, and so we, um, we all went, Shane invited us to the gig. And it was surreal anyway. We went for kind of like a, you know, a drink before and, and, um, and you know, you'd look over there and there'd be fucking Jimmy Page and there's Paul Weller before I knew Weller, you know. It was just a surreal night and because it must have only been a couple of hundred people there, tops. It's tops. Small venue, small venue. Tiny, you know, like, and it was cram-packed and, and I just remember thinking, this is unbelievable. And I was stone cold sober. And, um, and then that night, it kicked in. The gig kicked in. And, um, and I just remember, all I remember was this like slow motion image of me and Johnny Owen in the air, sweating. <laughs> like we was holding on to this railing thing and it was like we were suspended in midair. And, um, and it was, um, you know, fool's gold. And, and it was just, but it was, it was unbelievable. And I remember having this euphoric moment, but completely sober. Oh, and it was a big moment for me because yeah. I kind of realised then that I weren't missing anything in life. Yeah. Like, and that this was actually pure and I was living it and I was right there and I would never forget it. And I, I never will. You know, it was one of those nights, man. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Unbelievable night. Unbelievable. Yeah. What an amazing memory to attach yeah. to that record. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Track six. Yeah, what have we got? A favourite song from an artist from your home county. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's hard, this one, you know, like, because I'm a Londoner, so I could cheat and go anywhere, you know. Yep. But, but the truth of it is, I'm from, I'm from um, South London, you know. I grew up in kind of Kennington, and, uh, and my mum and moved then. Uh, so we're like Elephant and Castle and Woolworth, and yeah. uh, like I say, Camberwell, and that, that was my school. And so that area is where I grew up, like, and, you know, in Brixton, and that, like South London, that's my hometown, yeah. you know, and um, and it really meant a lot for us to have, because look, the fact is, it's kind of a poor area, yeah. you know, the old Kent Road, it's the cheapest place on the Monopoly board, no one wants it, you know, <laughs> and 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 uh, Whitechapel, East London's got its own version, but um, you know. I always buy it. If ever I play Monopoly, I always buy <laughs> sentimental value. And I always have the old boot. It's psychological, I isn't it? Have the boot, and it's funny. I don't want the posh car. I'm like, no, I'm a, I'm a South Londoner. And, um, and there's something about that. And again, that's why I wanted to write my film, you know, because I wanted to write it about the world I was from. But, yeah. um, so, but the truth of it is, when I was that kid searching, you know, on my quest for wholeness, as Jon calls it, you know, I, I kind of, um, you're looking for inspiration anywhere. You're looking for people who's, who are kind of saying to you spiritually, fucking go for it, son. Yeah. You're allowed to, you know, and um, um, like The Clash, like Noel Gallagher, like those guys or, or Liam, or, you know, ever, they're all cheering you on, man, and saying, fucking do it, man. Why not? You know, why not? And I got that in many areas. Like, I remember for the first time ever hearing that Charlie Chaplin was from my, like, properly from my neighbourhood, you know, like, grew up, like, two streets away from the one I grew up on. And I couldn't quite believe it. Like, the most famous man in Hollywood in of, of his time, but arguably one of the most powerful entertainers of all time, like, you know, and um, because he did, he formed, like, the acting union in Hollywood. He was an amazing human being, and if you listen to those speeches from uh, the dictator and stuff, like, very powerful, powerful speeches, and um, 
And I couldn't quite believe that he grew up where I grew up from. And he grew up in relative poverty and stuff as well. Well, abject poverty, really, you know, by, by London standards. Obviously not third world standards. But um, and I found that astonishing. And then it happened again later with Gary Oldman when I saw Neil by mouth. And I, for some reason, always presumed that Gary Oldman was American. Like, and that's a credit to him and his versatility and believability. But... Um, when I saw Neil by mouth, and then I saw a South Bank show that went with it, uh, they did one on him, and they filmed it in the Ten Bells pub on the old Kent Road, and I just kind of couldn't get my head around it, you know. And did and it inspire were, you to, to think that you know you can do these like things? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Because I was, I should have asked that earlier at school and things like that. I mean, I, I guess at the time you were surrounded by people encouraging you to, you know, be a better fighter. Yeah, but. We're, what was your entry point into into acting, and, and was that encouraged? Yeah, it was. Um, it was a place, and, and it's funny because it's relevant now. Um, I went to a little college called Morley College. It's an adult education college in Lambeth, and it's the cheapest place you can go. I think it's ninety quid now, but it was forty quid back then for the whole term. Whereas the the, the audition for RADA back then was forty quid, and I'm told now that the audition process for RADA now to get from beginning to end of it will cost you over 400 quid so it was the equivalent of that back then you know 40 quid and my mum was on benefits single parent family I just didn't have that money is this post Paris this was post Paris just got right. back from Paris wanted to be an actor got to go to RADA because I had a little ego on me you know if I'm going to be an actor I want to go to the best place your cowboy like, boots ain't going to work anywhere know, else mate. no exactly I've got to go RADA I've got cowboy boots I've got a quiff I'm not going Morley College I've got fucking things to do I've got the world to change you know and my mum, bless her, said, I think Morley College have got acting classes. And I was like, all right, whatever. And, um, yeah, God bless her. Anyway, I went in there, you know. Like, I went in there, and long story short, I bumped into a teacher because it was prospectus night in the foyer, and it was yeah. packed with people all looking to sign up for different classes. They teach everything there, you know. And I went in there, and, um, and this acting teacher was there. And I said, excuse me, mate, I want to be an actor. And he was like, all right, well, I'm one of the acting teachers. Come with me now if you want. I'm going to a class. And I was like, oh, hold on, I don't know. What kind of classes are they? He went, look, do you want to come or not? <laughs> and before I knew it, I was in an acting class. And, um, and that man's name's Craig Snelling, and he teaches in Bristol now. And uh, he changed my life. He, with specifically, um, specifically to do with acting, he made me believe I could do anything. He made me believe that I could achieve anything. He, he really did. You know, like I remember I, I tried to get into a drama school at one point because um, I was just scared that Morley College wasn't going to get taken seriously. And, and it kind of didn't for a while, is the truth of it. Yeah. Like, there is a system you have to get through in acting with um, the casting system and stuff. And it was difficult to get taken seriously early on for good parts. I got like a non-speaking part in a film or whatever, but um, he just got hold of me. And I remember not getting into that college because the only way I would have got in there would have been to get a scholarship and there was only one and it went to some other girl. And I cried. I remember being gutted. I was, in, I was over in Whitechapel. It was, I can't remember the name of the college. It's gone now. But um, I sat outside on the Whitechapel Road, I think it was. And I remember being in a phone box and it was pissing down with rain. And, and I rang Craig and I was crying on the phone. And I just went, I'm fucking giving up. And, and he, he came over and met me. And, um, and um, he, was a well, he is a beautiful man. And uh, the reason I mention it is um, to go off piste a little bit. But, but um, the college have just had a three million pound redevelopment. There's no way of saying this without sounding egotistical, you know, but it is what it is. Um, I'm just humbled and honoured, you know, but they've renamed the studio theatre in my name. It's called the Johnny Harris Studio Theatre. And we're using it to, to do good for um, the, the students that are going to be coming through because I want that college and stuff. And I want, I want kids like I was back then who take it really seriously and put the work in, not charity, you know, but people who, who don't have the money to go to these, um, you know, more expensive establishments, which are great 
This is not knocking them. There's room for everything is what I'm saying. Yeah. But when people don't have the money to go there and there's only so many scholarships to go around, you know, if people can't go to those places or don't know how to go to those places or too scared to even try to go and they go to somewhere like Morley College and they work hard enough and they get good enough, that's what's important. You've got to be good. No one's going to give you charity. Um, I want them to get the breaks, you know, yeah. like, or, or at least for casting directors and for producers to come down and agents just to see the end of term shows. So we had a great night there the other night and we invited all those people along that I've met over my years in acting now and become friends with. And it was unbelievable. We had such a great turnout. Ben Roberts, the, the, who's the head of the BFI, he came, Lauren Dark from Film 4. Some really good people, you know, who've got power in the industry. Um, they're taking it seriously and it was so lovely. And the idea was just to use this kind of naming ceremony because they named the studio the Johnny Harris Studio Theatre. And... Um, to use this naming ceremony as a platform, really, uh, to introduce these people to the building and show them how good it is there and how cool it is there. And then also we've gone out and pressed just to encourage local people and say, look, yeah. if you do want to have a go at it, you fucking can, man. Yeah. Come down, have a go. Try an acting class, try a fucking flower arranging, whatever you want to be, you can do it, you know. And, and um, I went along there and I was blessed that I bumped into that man because he was the one who kind of made me feel like anything was possible. And it turns out it kind of was, I guess, you know, yeah. like, who knows? Like, I don't know whether it's luck or providence or whatever it is, you know, like there was certainly a bit of hard work in there. There was certainly a lot of help. Um, but, but somehow or another, the people who told me to believe and the people who told me to have a go, um, including the Mick Jones and the Noel Gallagher's and the Steve Craddock's of this world and the Paul Wellers, you know, um, they were right, man. Like, fucking God bless them, you know, because they were right. I've, I've been blessed. Who else was telling you that? Number six. Um, yeah, the record I've chosen, yeah. Um, uh, Michael Caine was also from that area, you know? So right. there was a few people, not many, but there was a few where you think, fucking hell, they were captains of their industry. Yeah. And the one I've chosen is David Bowie, because um, I heard he was from Brixton and I just couldn't get my head around it. You know, I, I, and again, not to be too flippant with it, right? I'm not a Wally, but, you know, I'm saying it tongue in cheek, but I thought he was from fucking Mars or something. You yeah. know, again, like those songs, Tomorrow oh, well, Never Knows, mate. where you just think he's yeah. from somewhere else, this yeah. guy. And to think that People he was like from Brixton. From down the road. No. And so when you find out they are, it's just fucking surreal. Yeah. You know, you're like, what? Yeah. And then you find yourself listening to Space Oddity again and wondering how he did it. Yeah. Like wondering how he went from a bedroom in fucking Brixton to writing that. Yeah. And, and it kind of gives you permission to go inside. You know, and to, to work out who you are. I remember hearing Noel Gallagher wrote, uh, you know, the whole of, I think, Definitely Maybe, from a tool shed in, on a building site. He, he was in charge of the tool shed. And I'd done that actual specific job. Yeah. And I remember my mate Matthew Noel had that job as well. Like, he, he, he worked on his dad's building site. And, we, you know, you signed the tools out to the workers. Basically, when you're a 16-year-old kid and you ain't got a day's graft in yeah, you, they put you in a tool shed, you yeah. know. And I read an interview with Noel Gallagher and he'd done the same thing. Um, but when he did it, he wrote fucking definitely maybe in there on an acoustic That's guitar. Well spent, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? And you're just like, fucking hell, I need to up my game. What am I going to do? Where's Morley College? All right, then. I will go there. Um, you know, and, and again, man, I, you know, you just feel like you owe these people a massive thank you. So it's weird when you meet them and just no words come out. Because yeah. what can you say? What can you say? And the, the truth of it is they've done that for millions of people, you know, and um, so they can't, you know connect to everyone but um but david bowie and um and it's funny you know the song i was going to go for i could pick any of them really if i'm going to go for a bowie song um 
like where do you start? But I, I went for I've, I'm gonna I put two down there, didn't I? But I, yeah. I'll I'll take a jump and I'll go for heroes. Oh, what a song! And I'm gonna do something here, and um, I've not thought about it really, and I should have before I'd done it. But um, I'm saying it with good intentions in my heart. I'll, I'll dedicate it to my beautiful friend Nika McGuigan. Like I say, you know, um, you know, it depends on your definition of heroes, you know. But um, some people, none of us are getting out of this alive. We all know that, you know. But some people are taken young, but. I don't know what it is about them and I don't know where they find it from. But some people, while they're here, they just fucking shine, you know. They really live their life while they're here, you know. And some of us don't. Let's face it. Yeah. There's things like addiction and stuff where we, we waste large parts of our life, you know. And, and, and that brings sadness to, to those around them and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, and I've, I've gone through that as well, you know. But, um, but some people really do shine, you know, and they give you strength and they... They just make you uh, aware that we're blessed to be here, and um, and when I think of them, they give me strength, and you know. So um, yeah, man, I'm going to go with heroes, and I'll dedicate it to my beautiful friend. That's lovely, mate. Lovely. The last track, Johnny, is a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. So it's an opportunity for you to uh, play yeah. DJ and, yeah. uh, and drop a new song upon someone. Nice one, man. And again, I could go a lot of ways with this. I really could, you know. Funny enough, the one that I haven't done with um, Steve Craddock, actually, as a producer, he's just produced a new album with P.P. Arnold. And I think it's called The Adventures of P.P. Arnold. Really? Yeah, The New Adventures of P.P. Arnold. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, P.P. Arnold, man. He's, he, like, she's back. And, and um, I went to a live gig the other night, like a taster gig they did. And um, I, I'm, I'm not saying as a friend, I'm saying this as a fan, like, it's beautiful. It nice. sounds like it's kind of fucking Phil Spector meets like I mean it's the production is beautiful and Pee just and she's singing a mixture of tunes man there's a beautiful Steve Craddock song actually or the Craddock band Steve and Sally's yeah. band uh, The Magic Hour um, she does a beautiful version of that and I really love the uh, original but yeah. she does a beautiful version of that and um, there's a Weller song uh, Shoot the Dove that she does and um, so that's a beautiful album but I'm going to go with um, another one of um, Paul Weller's army really um, Mr. Steve Pilgrim who's, um, he's many things, Steve. He's Paul Weller's percussionist. And he also plays acoustic guitar with Paul. And he also does, like, beautiful backing vocals. He sings on the ballad of Jimmy McCabe and um, uh, the song from Jawbone. You know, he, he, um, he's an amazing artist. And he's one of those, he's a drummer who does backing vocals. I don't know how the fuck they do that. Yeah. You know, like, he's doing these complicated rhythms yeah. and then singing these beautiful harmonies. And you're just like, That's a real wow. talent. It's man. unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know how they do it. I can't even play a drum, yeah. you know, but, like, um, but Steve's, um, he's a beautiful, beautiful soul. He's just got this lovely way about him as a human being. You know, when you intrinsically believe in someone, as soon as you meet them, he's kind and humble. And, um, and he does, he's, he's a brilliant songwriter in his own right. I saw him the other week play live in a um, tiny little church in, uh, up near Angel, uh, I think it was, up near Islington. And, um, and it was a great guy supporting him as well. But anyway, he, he's, got, he's got an album. Oh, he's got a couple of albums, actually. So I'd, I'd say check all of his work yeah. out. But there's two songs of ease that just get me when I hear them. Um, and they're both about... Um, they're both quite slow songs, but they're about hope. Or to me, they are. Yeah. And they're about um, these people that I just mentioned, really. You know, like these people who... Um, who, uh, you know, when you feel like you're part of a tribe, and that yeah. tribe is, um, and, and I've, I've got, there's loads of them over the years, isn't there? There's, um, you know, where'd you begin? Where'd you begin? Yeah. But, but these two songs, there's one called Explode the Sun, um, which is lovely. And it's about saying that there's millions of, as much as there's the shitbags in this world, let's face it, look, politics I don't even want to get into. I just yeah. fucking hate them now, yeah. is the truth of it. And I think 
I think everyone does. I, I don't know how we get to express this, you know, when you've got newspapers telling us the opposite every week, you know, but, like, you know, I think... It's fucking crazy, man. It's unbelievable, isn't it? And, and, you know, and these warmongering fucking toe rags and shitbags out there, you know, like, and just all pontificating and fighting each other in the commons and shouting like fucking kids across the room at each other. Just had enough of it. You know, where you're just like, can we just fucking sort this shit out now? You know, there's enough food, there's enough fucking space for everyone on this planet. You know, do we really want to be still bumming fucking kids abroad? Yeah. And do we really still want to be having austerity and poverty here? You know, do we still want to be fucking having kids born with pretty much second to no fucking chance of achieving their dreams? You know, like, fuck it, you know? And there's great angry songs out there. And maybe that's what's going on at these yeah. grime gigs and stuff. Is There's people out there writing fucking tunes about this stuff. It's punk rock, mate. Exactly. You know, so it, there is great stuff happening. And the kids have got something to say. And maybe that's where the future is and hope lies. Punk's I don't know, you know. And it is that yeah. attitude. You know, manifests itself in many forms. Yeah. You know, all sorts of art and, yeah. and mindsets. And, and, and it is. It is a, it's it's kicking one, against uh, the fucking know, pricks. Steve, Steve's one of those who um, writes about it in a kind of a beautiful way, really. You know, because... Um, you know, as the Beatles sung about and Weller's sung about over the years, love's really, love is where the answer's got to come from, I think. You know, like you can't, you can't, um, you know, you can't have a war for peace, can you? You know, um, really, it just doesn't make sense, does it? It's some weird, strange paradox that's never going to work, you know. It was, say, an eye for an eye, you're just going to end up with a whole world of blind people, you know. But, um, but Steve's got this beautiful song, Explode the Sun, and it's just him talking about trying to hope, you know, for something a bit better and saying that there's millions of us out there who want it, you know. And he, he says something like, some of the lyrics are beautiful, man. I'll let your viewers listen to it. But um, We do a Spotify playlist to accompany this. Oh, so lovely, the songs man, that yeah. we spoke about, oh, wicked. people can go over there and have a listen. Nice so, one, man. Uh, well, there's another song as well called Love on Your Side, which okay. I, I hope he doesn't mind me saying it, but I, I, only because he announced it at the gig, so he said it publicly, but I think he wrote it for his child or his children and it's beautiful man it's ba basically saying go forth with love on your side because you're all right and you're enough you know and um you're going to be challenged in life but it's all okay kid you know and uh, it's beautiful and then explode the sun is just like um it's just him saying um you know there's millions of us out there who do want good you know so keep believing because it's fucking great and there is good stuff there's a lovely line in it um i wasn't dreaming i was just aiming higher and i think that's a beautiful beautiful lyric you know and um, and yeah and he's a lovely man so if you haven't checked him out already steve pilgrim and he's playing live all over the place at the minute i think he's he's again he's just a pure artist he's playing these massive stadium gigs with paul and big tours and all over the world and then he comes back and he goes around like edinburgh and london playing pubs and stuff you know just to get his tunes out i love it i love people who do that you know have guitar will travel kind of thing yeah johnny it's been an absolute pleasure mate yeah nice one man i've really Thank enjoyed you so it so much cheers man thanks Stu. There you go. I knew you'd enjoy that. I had an absolute ball recording that. Um, it's, it's it's really weird. Sometimes, you know, you know, it's like when you sit down with someone you've not, never met before. Sometimes it can be tricky. Um, and especially the nature of what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm asking quite, not personal questions, but, you know, I'm, I'm getting this person that I've never met to, to sit opposite me and, and talk talk their way through their life story really um and it was just so easy um on this episode johnny was um uh, yeah completely open book completely um friendly open honest and yeah it was as i said at the beginning it was an absolute delight it, it, it really was um so thank you very much johnny and thanks to you slot for listening i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did and I will see you next time. Have a smashing week. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Oh yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean in the first edition there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also Spotify have given us these amazing little codes so if you do get a print copy you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone scan the little code and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device how good's that if you haven't managed to get a print copy then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free so every other month there'll be a new edition out so go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well podbiblemag.com it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with him imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 